Today, the scripture comes from, sorry, Galatians 4, 1 to 7. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole entire estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we are underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's children. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And this is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Ah. Uh-huh. All right. Hello, Hackensack. Uh, New Mercy. Good to see all of you. Um, glad that you are all up. Saw that people came a little bit earlier. <laughs> um, I know it was tough. We lost an hour of sleep, which in, in larger perspective, I guess it's really not much at all. But just, I don't know why, just on Sunday morning, right, it just seems like a lot <laughs> you're forfeiting and sacrificing. But uh, as Hannah announced, I hope that you partake in Lent 15. This is not just about coming 15 minutes early on Sunday because we want everybody here, which is also true, but really this idea of corporately what can we do together for the 40 days as we are reminded of Jesus Christ going back to Jerusalem, suffering and dying on the cross. So this really, you know, um, starting from past Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, um, we, we go through this season of Lent to remember well of what Jesus Christ did on the road to the cross, and then eventually him resurrecting and uh, saving all of us with his uh, everlasting grace. So I hope that you, uh, through the app or um, through other means, you find out more about this Lent 15 and come pray with us. You will sacrifice 15 minutes of your time in different ways to serve others and remember God. Um, Here at New Mercy, we've been going through a sermon series um, called Breaking the Soil. As you know, this year's theme is faith forward. We're going to talk and pray about and really dive deeper about our faith and our relationship, our faith relationship with our Lord. And for a season from the beginning of January, we've been looking at a series called Breaking the Soil, meaning in order for our faith to grow, in order for our faith to grow and our relationship to grow with our God, we need to break down the soil first. There are things in our lives, obstacles that hinder us from our faith growing. So before you plant anything into the ground, you must observe the soil in which you're going to plant. You're going to find out there are rocks. There are other plants and weeds that you got to take out. There are things around there, woods and and, and pieces of uh, wood and, and stones that you have to remove before you plant so that you can have the max maximum uh, potential for that plant to grow, which we call faith. So we have a few more weeks left. I know some of you are like, oh, Pastor John, pastors, when are we going to stop talking about these obstacles? Let's get to the growing part. Say, well, let's relax. Be patient. We still got a few more weeks to go to observe deeper into our personal lives 
to really look at what are some of the obstacles from our faith growing. So today, we look at the obstacle to our faith called lies or self-deception. So let's pray one more time. Invite the Spirit to come. Will you join me? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for you are a generous God. You are a God who accepts us and challenges us and helps us and wants us to grow. Lord, we want to grow with you in relationship. We want to grow in our faith. So, Lord, will you speak to us? May your spirit just be here and fill this room that we may be able to just soak in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So these days, um, for the past six, seven months, I, I have a dilemma at night before I go to sleep. And I have a general routine. You know, I get some reading done. I get some work, work done. If I come back from counseling, I get some rest and trying to cut out the, the, the late night snacks that come at midnight. Um, and, you know, I usually try to fall asleep to some kind of sports documentary or, or a, a TV show. But these days, there's another dilemma that's been coming in every night, and that is there's this tug in my heart that tells me, okay, put the iPad down, put that book down, and pick up that Nintendo Switch because you need to practice. Um, Nintendo Switch is this, you know, game device. Those of you who don't know, which if you don't know, I think you're not part of this world. But uh, it's been booming, and, and my son, Benjamin, who's seven, had uh, saved up money for a year to buy it. And so he's been so excited. He's been wanting to play every day. Um, but we play this game called Super Smash Brothers, which I know that 1 p.m. Uh, folks have a tournament today. Um, and so this has been one of our family things to do. So I get together with my brother and his two kids, two sons and my son, and we play this all-out battle, right? One-on-one-on-one-on-one -on -one -on -one -on -one and, and two-on-three, one, you know, one versus four, and we battle with these uh, fun characters. And by far, among the three, two nephews, my brother and, and my son, I am the worst, right? So it doesn't matter what character I use. I've looked up even online different moves to do. I just can't do them, right? So what good is it if you know what you're supposed to do, but your fingers just and brain, it just doesn't function that way. I've never been a gamer myself. So I'm playing with these kids, and my 7-year-old son and 7-year-old nephew and a, and a five-year-old nephew is talking trash to me. I'm pretty sure they learned it from their uncle, not me. But they're like, oh, Uncle John, you're horrible. We're going to wreck you again today. I'm like, at night, I'm like, I need to practice, right? I just can't get myself to do it. And when I do, I can beat the computer pretty, you know, with no problem. But it's just when I started playing with seven-year-olds and six-year-olds, I can't seem to win. Um, I bring that up because... Yesterday, we got to play again, and once again, I'm last place over and over again. So now we've teamed up. I've been playing with my brother, who's the best among the five, uh, and then we play against the three boys, <laughs> okay? Every time we play, these three boys, before the, the winner screen comes up, like who wins, the characters come up, they're like, oh, we beat you, I won. Every time, without a doubt, they deceive themselves because they think that they played the best, right? Before the screen goes up, the winner's screen goes up, they go, oh, I beat you, I beat you, you're horrible. And the screen goes up, and it's not them. And they're so surprised. They're like, I can't believe I didn't win. And we're like, look at the statistics. 
I mean, you can't lie. They're like, I, I just kicked you off five times. I'm like, no, you kicked me off once. Look at the statistics right there. But over and over again, they deceive themselves thinking that they're better than they are. And there's a point where my brother kind of got impatient. He just put the game down and he looked at the three boys. like, listen, stop talking trash and stop thinking that you won. Clearly, you're not winning, right? But that's how we all generally live our lives. It's not just the seven, six, five-year-old kids who think that they're better than they are. Many of us actually live our lives thinking that we are actually better at life than we are. We think we're better at our job. We think we're a better spouse. We think we're better parents. We think we're better kids than we actually are. Now, if you get to the question of how do you objectify that, it's not a video game. We don't have statistics that show up. But subjectively speaking, many of us live in deception, thinking that we're so much better than we actually are. Perhaps some of you have the exact opposite problem. It's self-deception nonetheless, but you deceive yourself by thinking, I'm worse than who I actually am, that I suck at this. I'm horrible. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't make enough money. Many of us lie to ourselves all the time. Whether the self-deception tells us that we are more grand than we actually are, or whether it condemns and degrades ourselves, we live in this world of self-deception. And these lies, although once again, it seems so small, but once you build a habit of believing those lies that have been told onto you, or those lies that you created yourself, these habits take over every aspect of our life. There are many common lies that you hear if you pay attention. In counseling too, I hear common lies over and over again, here are some. I can't be happy unless things go my way. My unhappiness is actually somebody else's fault. You can have it all. Not true, but some of us live with that deception. All my personal problems are my parents' fault. All my marital problems are my spouse's fault. All my children's problems are my fault. My past pre, uh, predicts and determines my future, and I can't do anything about it. Some of us live like we are the king of this world, that we deserve everything. Everything's mine, and I have to have full control. Some of us still live this life as if we're slaves, that I must be told what to do because I'm not good enough. Common lies sometimes come in the form of this. If others were like me, I would have less problems. Don't you think that sometimes? Some of us live with this life. Look, the problem in this world is not me. The problem in this world is everybody else. If everybody else, including my spouse and my kids, were a little bit more like me, we would have less problems in my life, in our relationship, in my family, and in this world. You know, John Ortberg, a pastor that I love, he wrote this book. It's about um, how to be more authentic and grow in your relationship with others that you love. 
And I love his uh, uh, title of the book. It, it reads, I'd like you more if you were more like me. Getting real about getting close. And in it, there's chapters where he talks about how important self-knowledge is. Acknowledging who you are. Accepting who you are as you are, right? And getting rid of some of these self-deceptions and lies that's been told and lies that I've accepted myself. In it, he says this. Our capacity for self-deception knows no bounds. And it's a serious problem where intimacy is concerned. Why? Because intimacy in relationship is shared experience. And we can't share with others if we're not aware of what we're experiencing in our own soul and spirit. Meaning, if you've been told lies in your life and you've accepted it, or you struggle with just lies that you created yourself, either way, that's going to impact and determine how you relate with others. And obviously, it's going to cause a lot of problems. See, lies about the self affects our faith in God as well. So if we lie to ourselves and other people lie to us and we believe it, and it not only affects our horizontal relationship with each other, obviously it's going to affect relationship with God. Why? Because whether it's a relationship with others or with God, it's through your lens. It's through your own perspective. How self-deception affects our faith in God is that when we lack self-awareness, we may project onto others and project onto God the fear, the anger, the greed, the complaints that fester blindly beneath the, our, our, our own eyes, our lives. What we tend to do is, as others tell us lies, you're ugly, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're never going to make it in this world. Or lies that we've accepted for ourselves or created ourselves. If we can't have the habit of internalizing all that, then what happens in relationship with others and God is that we actually project those images, false images of ourselves to others. So therefore, we are much more hypersensitive when people criticize us. We're much more hypersensitive about a mistake that I've made. Right? When people tell me something in genuine heart, with genuine heart and in truth, even though they might do it in a lovingly manner, you reject it and rather you project onto them your own problems. Don't we do that? We see examples of this in the Bible as well. In Matthew 25, 24, there's a, a, a famous uh, parable about the talents, right? And in the story, there's a man with one talent. And at the end of that story, basically, the master comes and calls him, you wicked, lazy servant. Why? Because the other two servants, right, took what's been given to them, the talent, and they invested and grew it, multiplied it. While this man with one talent, because he started to compare himself to others, because he thought the one talent is not much at all, he decided to put it under the ground and he let it be. And when the master came back and said, what did you do with the talents that I've given you? What does this wicked, lazy servant say? He says this, I knew that you were a hard man, master, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. You know what he's saying there? 
Basically, this wicked, lazy servant with one talent blames the master for his own poor choice. He's saying, you know why I made that choice? It's because you have poor character, master. That's why I did it. We project onto others the problems that we all have. You cannot truly know God apart from knowing yourself in relation to God. Because deep knowing of God and deep knowing of self always develops together. They coincide together, right? Lies about God. Some of us believe these lies about our Lord. God's love must be earned. God hates the sin and the sinner. Because I'm a Christian, God will protect me from pain and suffering. All of my problems are direct results of my sin. God can't use me unless I'm spiritually strong. These are all lies about God and his relationship with us. Think about it. Have you ever met a person who admitted to being self-deceived? Have you ever met a friend that says, you know what? I think I've been deceiving myself. Probably not. (laughs) Because the nature of this problem, this obstacle that we're talking about, self-deception and the lies, is that it tells us that you do not need to look at yourself honestly. Could it be that you have an inaccurate view of yourself? That is a very difficult question to answer. We have all known somebody who has told a lie so long that they have started to believe it, and I see this all the time. Whether it's rejecting the self once again, or lifting yourself up. So, in Galatians 4, in today's passage, Paul is talking about slaves and heirs to the throne. He's talking about some of you still believe that you are a slave. And yet, Jesus Christ came to us to make us heir to the throne, that we are princes and princesses who are going to become kings and queens. And yet, some of us still live as if we're slaves, but some of us have the exact opposite problem. We think we are the king. Let's go over those two problems. One, lies placed on me from others. Many of us, look, whether it be our parents, our friends, coworkers, bosses, people of this world, they have told us lies. They have told us that you will never make it, that you are not good enough. You know, um, in seminary, I had a, a colleague of mine, and he's a workaholic, but also he's a workout-holic. He worked hard, he studied hard, he got really good grades, but he also worked out really hard. Nothing wrong with working out every day. But, I mean, it became very clear that to us that this was like his religion, to make his body look a certain way, right? And one day in our small group, we started talking honestly about some of the lies that we've encountered and we've accepted ourselves. And he shared honestly, you know why I work out every day? Because when I look at myself in the mirror, I don't see what you guys see. I see that I'm still ugly. I see that I'm still too short. I see that I'm not athletic enough. I'm not manly enough. 
And if you dig deeper, obviously you hear stories and stories of his life that's painful. How he was small when he was growing up in a grade school. So everybody made fun of him. And he wasn't athletic. He didn't develop early physical, physically. So he always felt like he lacked in something. The Napoleon complex. So he worked out his body. He wanted to look a certain way. And yet, in his late 20s, he still looks at the mirror. And he's looking at a reflection as if he was that child. Why? Because it's a perception issue. In his mind, he already believed that law at some point, as a child, I am not strong enough, I'm not man enough, so I must look a certain way and deceive myself and others that I am good enough. I am strong enough. And yet, deep down inside, he was still struggling with the law. These stories are so common, right? And we all have lies that's been told us. I met a woman in her mid-30s. She was in management levels. What you consider somebody who succeeded in their field of work. Upper management, getting great salary, a lot of people under her working for her, right? On the side, she had a side, side business. Um, she it, it had an innovative product that she invested money and it was doing well. She had a husband. She had two beautiful kids. She had a home that she owned. And yet, before me, as we talk about her past, as she's crying, she shares that she, every day, believes that she is lazy. What? You went to a top-notch school. You got great grades. You have a great job. You have husband and kids, and you have all financial security. You have job that other people covet, and yet she is sitting before me saying, I'm so lazy. I need to work harder. I need to beat myself up, and I have more to gain to prove. And we talked more, and we found out she had a tumultuous relationship with her parents. Her parents told her, you are not good enough. You must work harder. You got an A, why didn't you get A plus? You get an A plus, why didn't you get A plus plus? You know, you became number one, well, you have to become number one in everything, anything that you do. Imagine the pressure. Every day she wakes up and parents reminded her, you're lazy, you're not good enough. Over the years, she had accepted those lies. She believed, though her accolades on paper, on her resume, proved that this was not true. It's always interesting for me to step behind the paper of what that person has accomplished or we've accomplished. Many of us still struggle with this perception, these lies that's been told that you are still a slave and you deserve to be. You are too dumb, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're ugly, you have no talent, you don't have enough money, you're unlovable. There are all these wonderful, beautiful people in this world walking around out there 
who believe ridiculous things about themselves that someone else planted in their head and in their heart. But guess what? We can't blame just constantly other people. It is wrong for them to give us those lies, but to a degree, you must admit, and this is where self-acknowledgement comes in, is that you must admit at some point you use your freedom that God's given you to accept those things and define yourself. You partook in those lies. Look, I'll be the last person to push on that and to say, you know what? You've been hurt. Yes, maybe you need time and space to allow those anger and frustration to come out. You need to perhaps verbalize and identify because there's power in words and identifying to say, these people hurt me this way. These people done this to me this way. But at some point, at some point, you must accept the fact that you also partook in that. And perhaps you received it. So I put it like this. Look, we've all been influenced by, affected by the lies that have been told to us. But it doesn't mean that we necessarily have to define ourselves, meaning we have to accept it and make it our identity. So what are some practical tools? If you believe that you're still a slave to these lies, I hope you fight it this way. Some practical tools is that, first, you need to notice when you repeatedly say something negative about yourself. You know, sometimes these habits, we do it all the time to other people around us. They'll notice, they'll notice it better than we ourselves would. So you need to be able to be consciously aware about certain negative things you constantly say about yourself. Right? Jot it down. Ask somebody that you trust. Do I say these negative things about myself over and over again? And then examine whether it's true or not. Well, how do you do that? You need to objectify the problem to a certain degree, right? Because the problem is the perception, the false perception of yourself. So ask those around you who really know you, trust you. You know, here on New Mercy, about three or four years into New Mercy uh, church plan, uh, the pastoral staff got together and was saying, you know what? We feel convicted that we need to be honest, more honest with ourselves. Because we do it by ourselves, but then, you know, oftentimes we don't know what the congregants are thinking, right? You guys come out and you shake your hands and say, great sermon, John. And I think to myself, was it really? Were you really moved by it or are you just saying it? Right? There's this uh, the, uh, the side conversation that happens among the pastors. And we thought, you know what? Maybe we need to do just an overall, as a church, give opportunity for congregants to speak up and tell us the truth anonymously, right? Review. And we've done this every couple years now. And at some point, we've allowed ourselves to be reviewed personally, too, before it was general, like pastoral staff as a whole. And then we decided to put each of our names on and say, give us some feedback. And we went over those feedback together. And some of them were painful, right? But we trust enough in this group, and we decided to do this together. So what happened? Even though there are negative things that are coming out about ourselves that we feel ashamed or guilty about, you can process this together with somebody. That there isn't this judgment and point, you know, finger pointing, but rather to say, you know what, I want to be accountable for some things that I want to change in my life. Perhaps some of you need to find a group like that or friends like that. Examine whether it's true or not. And then document the evidence, right? Write some stuff down and watch out for the lies 
as you encounter it. And then this last step, go out and do whatever it is that the lie prevented you from doing. Once you understand the pattern, what the lies have been doing in your life, right? Once you objectify it, once you check it, and you keep checking your life over and over again, at some point, I hope that you can go out and actually do whatever it is that the lie prevented you from doing. If you've been single your whole life because no one could stand living with you, at least that's the lie you've been telling yourself, remind yourself of the truth of the loving, compassionate person that you really are and bring that truth with you on your next date. If you dream of starting your own business and you're so unhappy with where you are career-wise, but we're always told you are a screw-up and you're a failure and you can never do something new because you're going to fail. Document all the times you've succeeded. Pray over it and go take whatever that first step of doing something new would be. I hope that as Galatians 4, Paul tells us, you are no longer slave. But if you believe and live like one, I hope that you take these practical truths and these challenges very seriously today. I hope you grow out of that and, and, and gain new clothes, new skin, new perspective as God sees us. But look, some of us are listening to this message and you're like, I don't have that problem. You know why? Because I'm awesome. Please, I, I, I mean, I feel bad for those people who think they're slaves and they're not good enough, but I guess that's their problem and they're not strong enough. It's survival of the fittest, and I am on this side, right, of the fence. Some of us, we have problem with pride, right? As Paul's talking about Galatians 4, you're no longer a slave. You're heir to the throne. You're not of Asia, but one day you will be the king, and you're going to have to rule, and you can live as if all this is yours but in your mind, you think you are the king. You remove God and you say, I will take that throne now. And you literally become the king, the God. And the pride takes over. Some of you struggle on the opposite end. You think I am better and I am the best. Lies to self, you, you lie to yourself as a way to actually hide flaws. That's what at least psychologists say. That many people right, who, who have problem of self-pride, they overemphasize the amazing things that they do, right? They actually are trying to actually hide their flaws because they have different type of insecurities. But see, us human beings have an innate need to think positively of oneself, but we're imperfect. So how does that come together? I wanna think positively of myself, but I know I'm imperfect. And some of us, right, this part overtakes the imperfect part of ourselves. So we create this lie, self-deception, on the opposite end of the stick. And we think, I am awesome. I'm the best. Honey, you should be happy because you married someone like me. Kids, you don't understand how amazing of a father I am. One day you will know, right? But have you thought maybe one day they won't think that because maybe that's not true? Maybe your spouse is actually having problems with you because you have some problems? 
and you're not the best, right? Kids, I've worked with many teenagers, right? Many of them come and, and they struggle because you have this pressure of performance. And you're like, my parents did this to me. My parents did that to me. You go to college, and when I see college students and in their early 20s, a lot of them have this problem of just blaming everything on their parents, right? And sometimes the problem's on the other end. Some of us, you guys think, oh, I'm the best because I got into this school. I'm the best because I got this grade. I'm better than all these people. And look, we live in this world where they constantly compete you against the other. I get it. But if the pride gets in the way and becomes a habit in our life, then you're going to deceive yourself and you're going to have different types of problems. Psalms 36, verse 1 through 3 reads like this. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is, verse 2, no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. I love that verse for in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. Right? You flatter yourself. These are the problems that I'm talking about. Some of us flatter ourselves. You see this when you watch American Idol and all these, you know, singing shows. I feel like they do less of this. Now, like we, we see on YouTube and the TV stars, it's the only people who are amazing and have amazing gifts. But, you know, back in the day, I sh they showed more uh, clips of people who were horrible at singing, right? And, but in their mind, they think they're amazing. Like, they, you see in their face, when they get cut, they're like, I don't understand. I came this far. I bought a one-way ticket to Las Vegas because how can you not accept me? I'm amazing. And you think to yourself as an observer, I mean, you laugh first, and then you kind of feel bad. And then you go through the stage as an observer, you're like, you deserve that. Right? Because you're horrible. You're, you're so, and then you feel bad again. <laughs> but some people think that. They sing and they think their voice is beautiful. That they should get, you know, they should be signed right away and have a contract. And then you listen to them and you're like, man, I sing better than that. Right? False perception of who you are. In the Bible, we also see another character. In Matthew 26, 33, who had this exact self-deception problem, right? Aggrandizing himself. His name was Peter. He was the number one disciple among the 12. He was the right hand of Jesus Christ, right? Peter, come do this. Peter, come do that. Peter, get the 11 to do this. He was always in the front. But in Matthew 26, 33 to 35, he headbutts with Jesus. And this is the conflict that happens. Jesus is telling the disciples once again, I one day am going to suffer and die. And when I'm crucified, every one of you, every one of you is going to deny me. And here's what Peter says in 33, Matthew 26. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, Jesus, I will never, I never will. I never will deny you. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declares, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. 
he thought, you know what, How, I'm, I'm different. I'm, di- I'm number one. I'm right hand of you, Jesus. There's no way I'm going to deny you. That the thought never entered his mind that when Jesus is talking about suffering and death toward the cross, that he's going to get arrows thrown his way. The thought never entered his mind that when the arrows are thrown his way, that he was, he, he thought he was just going to be able to take it all. He was strong enough. His faith was strong enough. And you know what? If no one else could, I can. Because why? I imagine in his mind, he's thinking that night, like, what is Jesus talking about? Look at all these things I've done with him. Look at all these amazing things I've done for him. And he's doubting me and my faith in him. Before the rooster crows, Peter denies Jesus three times. Why? Because he was afraid. He was afraid that they were going to kill him. Imprison him, just like Jesus. Peter argued with the Lord. Jesus had never been wrong before, but Peter was convinced that Jesus was wrong here. I don't think so, God. You know who I am? Some of us have self-deception problem this way. We think we're too good. How do I know I'm self-deceived in this way? I'll give you a couple of signs. If you have some anger issues, you might have this problem. (laughs) You tend to flip out at really nothing. And you might even catch yourself after the fight. You're like, oh, man, I blew up for no reason. But you still do it over and over again. The more defensive you get, the angrier and faster you get, the more likely you probably have a problem in this area. Maybe you need a self-evaluation of your life as well. So, these people, according to Galatians 4, I believe Paul would say something like this. You don't think you're a slave. But, here's the problem you have. You think you're the king. You think you own your life. You think you gave your life this, you gave yourself all those talents and all those giftings, and you think you earned them yourself because you're so great. Guess what? That's self-deception. And that's going to fall just as hard as those who deceive themselves by the lies, lies that's been told onto them by thinking that they're slaves. So, for those of you who have this issue, I want to challenge you as well. Um, let's do a self-evaluation every night. Almost get a piece of paper or journal, write down stuff, your thought processes. You don't have to show it to anybody, because if you do show it to your spouse, your spouse might say, yeah, actually, that's all right. <laughs> you know, and, and you might get into a fight about that. So... <laughs> Just do it on your own. I just want you to be more self-aware. It's good to think positively about yourself. We're not saying don't ever think positive things about yourself. We're not saying self-confidence is wrong. You need to beat yourself and be masochistic. That's not the point. The point is, if you find yourself having this habit of constantly putting yourself up while, because if you put yourself up, what happens naturally? You will put others down. So what happens? You constantly put yourself up, you will put your spouse down. You constantly put yourself up, you will put your children down. You will put your coworkers down. Problem is never you, so problem must be everybody else. You need to acknowledge that. So find that pattern, and perhaps you need to start writing it down. And I love this. For people who come to me with these issues, I say, you ready? You say, no, John, I know all that. I'm self-aware. I just don't know how to fix it. Maybe... 
listening to your own words and your own perspective is not enough. I say, go find three people that you trust and that you love. Same thing with the, the slave folks, right? Same thing. Go find three people that you love that you can trust and, and ask them. Almost write out a survey for yourself and give it to them and see what they say. Even better yet, if there is a way to do an anonymous survey, send it out to everybody that you know. Let them respond to you. Come up with some questions and see what they say. Who wants to do that? I don't. Why? Because I fear that what I already know about myself, right? My pride or my shame will be revealed. But guess what? Those people who already know you and love you, they already know that. You're the only one outside of that truth. And that's exactly what self-deception does. It tells you you're the best or you're the worst. In Galatians 4, Paul is talking about slaves and freedom, right? And he says this. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is an underage, he's no different from a slave, right? Why? Because during this time, the Roman law stated that although your father, your parents had all this wealth, until you became 25 or whatever age that your parents set before you, you are an understudy of others, and you learn the ways of the family business. And at 25 or whatever the age your parents set before you, you become the heir to all that they've owned. But some of us, Paul is saying, you still live like slaves. Although the freedom's been paid on the cross, and Jesus said, you, you know how I see you? You know how I perceive you? You're no longer a slave. You don't have chains around your ankles. You're free. I've given you many gifts, many opportunities, many people around you. I've given you this life. Live it. Live it to the fullest. I hope you see God's perspective in how he sees you. He doesn't see you all cut up, banged up, and say, oh, you're useless. I'll put you over here. He doesn't see you like that. No longer a slave. You're an heir to that throne for others. Yes, you are an heir to that throne, but don't mistake in yourself. You're not the king. You don't own everything. You didn't create all that by yourself. Put that pride aside. Be more humble. Come before the Lord and speak with him and ask him, Lord, I don't want my pride, these self-deceptions to get in my way of growing in faith with you. And come before the Lord. And I hope that the Spirit will speak to you in teaching you how to really accept yourself for who you are, but at the same time, really being able to perceive yourself from how God sees you. I'll end with this. Um, you know, one of the things that I do like to watch at night before I fall asleep is these, like, um, Korean, like, game shows or short game shows. And I can't do the dramas. I can't do the movies. You also have to understand my context. Monday through Friday, I'm usually meeting up with people with massive issues and problems. So the last thing I want to do is watch very serious dramas or, like, I just can't handle it. My heart and mind can't handle it. So I like to watch something light, comedy. 
right? So I watched this uh, Korean uh, comedy show, and one of the comedians who won the, the, the biggest award per in annually, I forgot what the award was, but um, she um, went to the uh, Korean army base, and she had to give a speech. And she started off the speech this way. She started telling the story about the rabbit and the turtle, right? And the, you know that story, right? Rabbit and the turtle started hanging out with each other. Somehow, somewhere, for some reason, they got into an argument. Who's faster? And they decided to have a race. So there are other animals watching this race. They pick the judge. They pick the starting line. They say, okay, go. And they race. Rabbit obviously ran and was beating the turtle to the point where he can look back and turtle is nowhere to be seen. So what does he do? He lies down next to the tree under the shade and says, you know what, I can take a nap. I'll still beat the turtle. When I wake up, even if the turtle is in front of me, I can still beat him because I'm amazing. I'm that fast. I'm that much better than the turtle. While the rabbit fell asleep, turtle went, 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 in his slow, steady pace. Eventually, rabbit wakes up too late. Turtle wins the race. Now, the lesson of that story, according to the comedian, obviously is what? Long and steady wins the race, right? But it's interesting. She took a turn, and she asked this question, which I want to challenge you with to leave this morning, is that why, do you, why did the turtle even say yes to this race? Why did the turtle agree to race the rabbit? He knows that he cannot beat him. He knows that he's slower than the rabbit. Everybody in the animal kingdom knows that, right? And yet, you must ask yourself, why did he even agree to go into this race? You know why? Because he knew himself. He accepted himself for who he is. God made me a turtle. I'm slow. I'm going to go slow and steady. I might lose this race, but it's okay. I'm adding a lot of psychological, you know, internalization of the turtle, but you must wonder, why was an animal that knows he's slower actually going to a race? Perhaps it's because the turtle knew himself and acknowledged himself and accepted himself for who he is. And that's really part of the lesson I feel like God is trying to teach us through Paul in Galatians 4. You are no longer slaves. From God's perspective, not our own eyes, our pers from God's perspective, none of you are slaves. So let's not live like one. Let's not view ourselves like one. Let's not treat others like one. And But yet we are not God. We're not the king of our world, our life, the talents that God's given us. So let's not let pride get in the way of deceiving I want to challenge your church. Will you look at yourself very honestly this morning? And let's pray. Let's just pray together this moment. Let's ask God, God, I know that I'm trying here hard to see myself for who I am, but I need your help. May I be able to see myself, who I am, my identity from your perspective. For the identity that God gives us and grants us is far more superior than the identities that's given to us or identities that we've created ourselves. So let's pray.